There's only one reason we're going through Ephesians, because this is where the Lord directed me to. First bullet point that we're going to get to, the bullet points aren't on the thing, it's just the main, the main theme, but we can put that up there. As I said before, we are found by God in Christ Jesus, and we are under his authority to live in obedience to God's will through the Holy Spirit. That's what we're looking at. God has predestined us. Whoa. That came out of my mouth because it came out of Scripture, right? I have tried to avoid this topic since I started being the pastor at uh, White Rose. And I'll explain a little bit of that to you in here. Why? Because what it comes down to is I don't like the phrase, once saved, always saved. Because what that leads up to is I can do whatever I want. And we're not going to go there this morning because that's not what God's word says, is it? I don't think so. So we'll get into it here. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at 3 through 5. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Okay, now I want to start with, it is a letter to the believers. I said that before. Now, does that mean that unbelievers can't get anything out of Ephesians? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm going to say is, believers, this is a letter that if an unbeliever says, well, your holy scriptures say this, and you're not following through with this, then I don't believe in your Jesus because I can't believe in you. Right? That happens in the world all the time. And what the, the problem with that is, is if they are doing that, it's because we are making ourselves the hero. Look what I've done. Look at, look at my wonderful ability to play the guitar for all of you people. Oh, that just makes me shiver right there. I just, right? Because I know that the Lord allowed me to play the guitar. I am the worst guitar student ever. And if he can allow me to play the guitar to praise him, then you guys can um, step up and play the, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, there's opportunities for you guys to do anything, right? I've always been a good speaker as far as like, Talking, I'm a horrible reader, right? By God's grace, he has allowed me to be able to read in front of people. I've found a couple of tricks that helps me do that. And the only reason why I'm here is because of God's grace, right? So as we come before this, I try to come every Sunday as a humble person pointing the way to Jesus, right? And as believers... In our community, we have the same responsibility to do that as well. We want to be a humble to pass it on. Um, that old song that I sing every night to Sawyer and Piper, pass it on. You guys you ever remember that song? I've sang it once here in church. You're not going to get me to sing it again. But it only takes a spark to get a fire. Maybe I'll close with it this morning. Uh, only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up and it's glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread his love to everyone you want 
to pass it on, okay? There's, that's the key there, right? We want to pass it on. We don't have to pass it on. We are convicted by the Holy Spirit. It wells up within us. We can't hold it inside, and we have to move forward. We have to pass it on. That is, that is an indication of salvation in Jesus Christ, that you want to share your salvation story. Whoa, laid a bomb on you there. Right, so predestination. What's this have to do with this all? Well, let's start with this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I no longer identify with this pattern of the world, but I identify with the pattern of Jesus Christ. And that is where I find my identity. And I hope that's where you find your identity this morning as well. My identity is found through Christ in a world where identity is screaming for attention. Who are you going to be? What gender are you going to be? What are, who are you going to, what are you going to stand for? I'm not going to stand for anything. I'm going to be an anarchist. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's all craziness out there. The only thing that can bring us and ground us is the foundation of Jesus Christ. And if you want a good foundation, that is where we need to start So as I mentioned before, the book of Ephesians is written to those who have surrendered their life and made Jesus their Lord and Savior. So this posed the question for me this week. As a believer, did I pursue God or did God pursue me? And that is a tricky question that Alistair Begg brought up to me, and um, I have been pondering on that all week, wrestling with it. And I've come up with this first point, which happens to be kind of long, so I'm just going to apologize. My wife never likes a long first point because she says by the time you get to the end of the first point, I'm, I'm kind of done listening. But it's one of those first points that um, has to be there. So bear with me this morning as we talk about predestination, Okay. So I believe we are drawn to God through his Holy Spirit. God is doing the pursuing, right? If you think about this, if you think about the fall of man and things, God, after they fell in the garden, did Adam and Eve run to the Lord? No, they hid, right? They hid and God pursued them. How could have God pursued them? Did he know what they did? Absolutely. But he asked some good question. Where are you at? What have you done? And then basically he says, what are we going to do about this? But he does that by a command. This is what we're going to do about this, right? There's consequences for our actions. So God is doing the pursuing. He proves this in, he proves this in the way to go to heaven and the means to get there. Through his son, Jesus is life. The way Jesus lived, the way Jesus died, the way Jesus rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven. What if Jesus rose from the grave and then died again? Or what if Jesus rose from the grave and just stayed on the earth? If we don't have the ascension there, it means that he is not in agreement with the heavenly father, yet we do know that he ascended and that he is at the right hand of God in the throne, right? And we, which is kind of interesting. So, Jesus 
since I know that, I'm going to put off my old self, like that Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm going to allow him to take the lead in my decision-making. I'm going to allow him to be at my forefront in my relationships and in my inner being. Additionally, God has called me to be in relationship with him, right? God knew the time, God knew the place, and God knew my heart at the choosing. That's probably the most Calvinistic I'm ever going to get right there, right? But God knew it, right? God knew all those things. For me to deny that is to deny that my God is sovereign over everything. And I can't do that. That's where I wrestled this week. I cannot deny God's sovereignty. God knows all the things. But does he know where I wrestle with that? And my paradigm or paradox that goes along with that is there are several different options that could go out there. And so... Maybe it's kind of like the multiverse going on with me there. But that's how I wrestle with it. So God knew the time, God knew the place, and he knew my heart in the choosing. Yet, he gave each one of us the choice to choose. We have free will, folks. We have, it has to be our decision to choose God. And how he is going to affect our lives goes along with that choice and, and the choosing. So the sovereignty of God begs this question. Is God all-knowing? I believe he is. I, his word says he is. He's done some amazing things that, that go along with the fact that he's all-knowing. He's laid down several, you probably say hundred, promises that he's going to fulfill, and he has fulfilled several um, at least about 150 when the first coming of Christ, and he's going to do another almost 100 for the, the second coming of Christ. And we can believe in that. Is God all-powerful? Well, I believe he's the creator of all, and so he has power over everything if he's the creation, and he can make it spin and, and go however he wants. God is, is God bound by time, matter, and space? I will only say yes when he came in form of man in Jesus Christ, and that was by his choice so he could save us, and he's no longer bound by that anymore because he's ascended back to heaven. So he's no longer bound by time, matter, and space, and he only did it for a small, short period of time so that he could save each one of us. Is God bound by our definition of him? No, he is not. In a sense, what I'm saying there is we cannot place God in a box. We can't make God this who we think he is and just leave him there. God is always revealing himself to us through his word and allowing us to see that he is much bigger than what we really are. And that is very important for us to understand. So, Pastor, how can you reconcile these two things? What are the two things? It's free will and God being sovereign. If God is sovereign, doesn't he already know the, all the choices that are going to be made? And if we have free will, can't we affect his sovereignty? And I'm going to say no, we can't, in a sense. And yes, we can. Because God brought those two together, right? God designed 
this earth. He designed us as humans, and so he designed us with free will, and he knows all the possibilities that could go out there. So how can you reconcile these things? How can you make them go together? Maybe the question better would be, why am I questioning something God designed to go together? I don't think we have to reconcile two things that God brought together under his perfect design. His sovereignty and our free will are both part of his creation, part of his original design and his plan. I'm not going to put God in a box and say, God, you have to do and look a certain way because of what I think. I will allow God's word to form and shape my image of God because it doesn't come from me. It comes from him, right? Because I can't understand God's word doesn't allow me to limit my view of God. I always put my view of God, I always put my God in a box, and he happens to be right up here for some reason, I don't know why, but I always put him with an asterisk, right? Because this is what, I look, what he looks like right now until he expands and is bigger than me. Because if I dare close the lid on that box, I could, me personally, I would be sinning, okay? I'm not saying that, that same with you, but for me, because that is a very arrogant way to look at God, isn't it? Right? So I'm not going to put him in the box. Therefore, I accept that these two go together according to his will. That God has a plan. He's worked that plan. He sees it in a big way. And I don't necessarily question those things. Why? Because I have been saved by his grace. And because of his grace, I want to do good works him because the spirit convicts inside me and i think once you get on the other side of salvation once you become a believer you can see the sovereignty of god much more clearly i think it's the walking to the savior where we have a struggle to give up our our free will because that's in a sense what we're doing we're giving up our free will because god has some amazing things for each one of us right? How do I know that? Okay, so let's back up on that plan of salvation a little bit. So let's think about this. Did Jesus surrender to God for us? When he died on the cross, well, who was he surrendering to? Was he surrendering to us? No. Was he surrendering to the Romans? No. He was surrendering to God, right? He was surrendering to the Lord's will. That's what was keeping him on the cross. He was setting the example for us to follow. Did he deserve the punishment that he received? We know that is not. No, he did not. Yet he took it anyway to pay for our sin so that he would be the perfect sacrifice and his blood would cover all our sins, so that we might become in relationship with him. Whoa, there's a, that's a big concept in Christianity right there, right? So I have to make sure that we understand what salvation's all about. And to say that God is sovereign means he reigns over everything. So when I say God's a sovereign God, it means he is over everything, he knows everything, he's all-powerful, he can affect anything however he wants it to be affected. And that's kind of big as well. Okay? 
So, which leaves us with the question we started with. Did I pursue God or did God pursue me? God, yes, God has called me according to his purpose. He allows me the choice to choose him. It's kind of a trick question. Yes and yes. God is pursuing me, and I would say it's probably a 90-10 or a 99-1, the more honest I get with myself, right? It's probably 9,999-1 more and more I get honest with myself. So if God is sovereign and he has called us according to his purpose, then can I sin all I want? Or will I lose my salvation in sinning? Okay, this is the great debate of a Calvinist of faith and Arminian faith. Okay, so can I, uh, Calvinist would say, uh, once saved, always saved. The danger of that is this philosophy, this thinking, it can get, it's thinking I can get whatever I want and still make it to heaven because I have my fire insurance. That's what I call staying out of hell, okay? So I've surrendered my, my life to God, now I can do whatever I want because God's going to save me because I've surrendered to him, but I'm going to do whatever I want. But did I really surrender if I'm doing whatever I no, I didn't. Ah, oh, man. So I've lost my salvation, right? Because I was convicted at this point. No, no. I'm not sure which one it is of those two. It's a little bit of both, I'm going to have to say. Because there's some place in the middle where those two go together. That when we truly... I, I've seen it before. I've seen people come that don't know Jesus, and they come to church camp... And they walk out of church camp and they say, how come I don't want to do this anymore? It's some sin. I don't know what it would be. Maybe it's uh, cursing is a big one that comes quickly that the Lord will convict you on. And he's like, I don't know. Why is that? And then I, I just don't do it anymore. Sometimes it's drinking, smoking, all those things. Sometimes God can just pull those and release you out of those things because all those things are not identifying with Christ Jesus, okay? We are going to surrender to Christ Jesus. We don't need to surrender to alcohol. We don't need to surrender to nicotine and all those things. Now, is that easier said than done? Absolutely. I understand that, right? I'm, we've talked about this before too. But when the Lord is working on our hearts and when we give him the authority to work in our lives, we start to see growth. We start to see change in our life. And we no longer have just fire insurance, but we have the assurance that not only are we going to be changed in our hearts, but our, life, our minds going to be changed and then our lifestyle is going to be changed. And we're going to reflect Jesus Christ. And people are going to say, there's something different about you and I want that. And you're not going to say, well, look what I've done, right? Just like the guitar thing right here. This is where, our, this is where we get, we need to become a conduit and say, this is Jesus Christ welling up within my heart, and I need to share what I've done through him, because I can't do this on my own. And you need him just as much as I need him, because I am just filthy rags. I'm a broken conduit, and somehow he uses me, right? That's pretty cool. He calls us 
broken jars of clay, right, in um, 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 4, but I'm not 100% sure. But I love the fact that we're broken jars of clay because what do you put inside of a jar, a clay jar a lot of times, right? You, sometimes you'll put liquid, sometimes you'll put anointing oil, sometimes you put a light in there, something that needs to be held in there, right, in, a, in any case. And when we are broken jars and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, can we hold the Holy Spirit inside of us? No, it flows out of us, right? And it flows into other people. So out of the welling of our hearts, we give the Holy Spirit. So on the flip side of that, if we go heavy on free will, then, then I always wonder if I am saved, am I doing enough good? Am I pursuing God enough. And there's a danger in that to say, well, I'm falling out of salvation. Well, I never had salvation in the first place. Again, it's the same dichotomy that works in there, and it is a dangerous place to live. So what do I got to do to make it right? And I need to work for my salvation. This undermines Christ's authority as well, because there's nothing that we can do to work for God's Salvation, it is, something, it is a free gift that he gives us, and we are going to honor him with our lives. While paying restitution is a good principle to have, it is, has nothing to do with our being saved. It has a lot to do with obedience because of our salvation, okay? a.k.a. faith. Right? That is faith. The fall of, of man, Adam and Eve. Did God have a plan? Yeah. He wanted to have people there that knew him, that were in relationship with him, that could worship him. They were excited about it. He was excited about it. And did Adam and Eve have a choice? Yeah, they were supposed to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gives them this choice, and he says, uh, Satan comes along and he distorts the truth. Did God really say? And then Eve changes it just a little bit, and I wonder if Adam told her that, that we're not even supposed to touch it. And he's like, well, I'm handling. I'm, you're, you're fine. You can handle it. Well, it's ripe to eat. Let's try it. And it all goes downhill from there. So they fall for the trap. Are there consequences for those sins? Absolutely, right? Major consequences. Now we all have a sin nature in us. We all have to walk that line. Yet did they go to heaven? Yes, Adam and Eve are in heaven. I'm excited about that. Someday I, I'm sure I'll have to get in the line of lecturing them. Uh, What'd you do that for? But as I read, But as I read his word... I wouldn't have been no better. I would have done the same thing, right? And like Adam and Eve, we have a choice to choose. Once the mark of salvation is written on each one of our hearts, God will always be pursuing relationship with you and with me, right? He will not let us go. My hope and my faith that he will direct me back to him before I can even 
come close to losing my salvation. I don't worry about predestination anymore because I have the Holy Spirit living inside me and I know that he's going to convict me when I am doing wrong and draw my heart back to him. And that's the assurance I have that if I'm in sin, he will forgive me and we can get back to what we're supposed to do. If I... I have that assurance of salvation, and so out of the welling of the Holy Spirit in my heart, I want to do good works. I need to share Him because of the love that He has for me is not only just for me. It is not only just for White Rose. It is not only just for America. It's for the whole world for all time. And that's pretty cool because I know that He is drawing me closer to Him. We are found by, Christ, by God in Christ Jesus, and we are under his authority to live in obedience to God's will through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will according to Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, we will bring everything under the the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Wow. Okay. That one's got some yeah buts in there, right? Yeah, but what what happens when bad things happen to good people? That, That was according to his plan? Is that what you're saying? Well, yes and no, yes and no. Um, When you enter sin into that factor, God never planned for sin to be in this world, right? But he can work all things according to his good, according to those who love him, and he will turn it into his goodness. It is just very hard to see sometimes in the moment, isn't it? Under authority, this is part where I stepped on my toes all week long. As believers in the way, that was what Christianity was called at the beginning, right? It's called the way. As Christians, we are under authority of Christ Jesus. Paul describes Christ's authority in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 27 and 28. I believe chapter 15 is the most important chapter in 1 Corinthians, okay? It talks about the resurrection, everything lines up on that. It says, For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when he says all things under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, would be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. What does that say? God gave Jesus authority to have authority over everything, okay? Jesus has it, 
and he gives it back to God. Okay? What's kind of neat in Revelation, we know that God then gives it back to Jesus. It's like, whoa. So there's some things there that I understand and some things that I don't understand um, with the Trinity, because God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are three gods in one, but they have different roles and they have different, they're different too, okay? So they're the same, but they're different, okay? And a lot of that has to do with the entering of sin into the world, but that's not the only reason, because Jesus was there before time, matter, and space was there. So the Trinity was there before. Can I understand that much more than that? No. I can simplify it and say it like this. It's kind of like things in creation. God is like, we can use the illustration of water, okay? Water can be three different parts. It can be steam, a gas. It can be liquid in the water that we drink. And it can be ice, right? All three are different, but all three are water, okay? So that's the closest I can do to really simplify it in 10 seconds. It's much more complex than that, but I don't have time for that this morning. But hopefully that'll kind of bring it into what it means. Because Christ has defeated death, we now have the confidence in our salvation. Furthermore, we can rest in God's grace as we obey Christ, Jesus, our Savior. Our danger is when we overemphasize God's love and underemphasize his authority. Okay, when we overemphasize God's love, we say, well, God loves me. He would never punish me for that. Right? Yeah, I'm glad I'm right. So think about this. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Okay? The beginning of wisdom understanding is to fear the Lord. It says that throughout the Psalms. It says that throughout Proverbs. Many times, and it says it from a father, in, in Proverbs context, it says it in the context of a father saying that to a son. Okay? The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Okay, so let's think about this. To mock God is to stop fearing the Lord. To mock God is to stop fearing the Lord. Mocking God is to look inside ourselves for the truth when he alone is the truth. When we compete for status with God, in this we have our felt, we make our felt needs primary. Um, when we, we have a tendency to look at our physical self. Guy from Village Church preached on this this week. I can't remember his name. But he said, we look to our BMI more and give it more glory for somebody else that, who is trying to bring their body fat down and make themselves look good on the outside. We're like, wow, look what you've done, opposed to somebody that is spiritually convicted and is reaching out for forgiveness we're like, whoa, look what you've done, right? We're like, one of those, we're like, oh, stay away from me. The other one, we're like, oh, wow, I want to be more like you. And a lot of times, those are opposite, what they need to be. The one that's reaching out for forgiveness, we want to, we should be pouring into them, seeing what, 
how we can be more like them, opposed to the one that's trying to look a certain way like the, the world is. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't all become fat and whatever, or just couch potatoes, but we want to know that the Lord has... We don't want to be spiritual couch potatoes either, right? Amen? All right, so our tendency then is to make our felt needs primary. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel good. We want to feel safe. And these are all true needs, right? But we are in danger of them becoming primary and making them the message of the gospel. And it's just not true. Jesus never, never coddled our felt needs. Matter of fact, he really convicts our felt needs. And if you are working toward your felt needs, a lot of times he's like, dude, that ain't right. And he did that to the Pharisees. He did that to his disciples. But he rarely did it to somebody who didn't know. If, Jesus, if you didn't know anything about Jesus or if you don't know, he would come to that person with compassion and things. We have swung from back in the 50s and the 60s and 70s of the thinking that I am a worm, I am disgusting, I don't deserve anything, to, ooh, I like this. This feels good. And if it feels good, it must be right. How wrong that theology is. And that all comes from once saved, always saved. Because they say, well, if I'm saved, I must be a vessel that just shows Christ to everybody. And if it feels good for me to go this way, it must be of Jesus. It must be. I don't know why. I just, I don't know why my voice is getting higher. Right? That is our culture permeating itself into the church. If it feels good, do it. That's what that is. Okay? That is not right. We need to say, oh, this seems right. This, I, it feels good to go this way. Does it go, is it compatible with God's word? Does God's word back this up? Or does it actually speak against this? If it speaks against this, I need to walk off of this because I'm being tempted by this particular sin. Whoa, that's my feet stomping this morning. So, uh, where am I at here? Okay, our standards have fallen off the charts because we focus on what we feel. Brothers and sisters, we called, we are called to act out in our faith and we... When we make our emotional response, our primary response, we take Christ out of, off the diadem and set our own butts on his throne, right? We become our own gods, and we become very secular in our faith, and whatever we think feels good, we do. And that comes straight out of the book of Satan, right? If it feels good, do it. Do as thou wilt. That is book of Satan right there. We have... God's grace, but we also are under his authority. 
right? We are under his authority. It says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, it says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest and decay and they will harvest decay and death from from what sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Okay? If we are under authority, how do we combat how do we combat this? What are we planting? What are we planting? Here are three things that we plant. Okay? The application. I left you a little blank in there. You can fill these in by yourself if you want to. It's our thoughts. The first one is our thoughts. We plant thoughts that we dwell on. What have you been stewing over this week? What has been going? Maybe it's something positive. Oh, I'm really excited about what what life's going. I'm really excited about this. That's great. Amen. You're doing a great job. Is it something that someone's done to affect you? And you're like, oh, I can't believe this. This is great. 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 Right? What we dwell on in our thought process is what we are planting in our lives. Okay? You ever see that? As that thought process goes down, the week, the month, it starts to go down with it. Okay? Next. Um, well, on that, it says, what, are you student, what have you been thankful? One way to, to combat negative thoughts is to have, be an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of praise. I woke up this morning, and I was... Anytime I wake up with a secular song in my head, I got to get right with God. That was one of the, this was one of those mornings. So I got on Spotify and I started listening to um, the worship set list this morning. And that helped me get into the mindset so I could get back into here to praise God. Is it easier to remain in the negative rather than the positive? Our attitudes are a choice, which brings us to our next one. We plant attitudes that we stay in. We plant attitudes that we stay in. If we're a negative Nancy, we're going to become a negative Nancy, and we will produce negative Nancys. Never really liked Nancy. Right? If we produce positive Pauls, look at me there, I just made that one up. Right? Paul's a good guy. Right? Our attitude is a choice. Our are people excited to be around you? Do they smile when they see you coming? That's a good indicator, folks, that you have a bad attitude. If people are ducking you, you have a bad attitude. If they smile when they see you, hey, that's a good thing. It's a good thing, right? Are you building people up? Are you listening? Are you listening to just give your opinion? Or are you listening to be a listener. That's something that the Lord's worked on me on. I can listen to listen now instead of listen to argue. Listen to win the argument. It's not good, folks. That's not good. That's not love. That's not loving action. Or we can go the other end of the spectrum. 
Do you want people to feel sorry for you? I got a hangnail. Can you get it out of me? What's your hangnail, right? It's, it's craziness. Or maybe you spout out in anger, right? Instead of dealing with the problem, I'm going to push them away to becoming angry. I'm just going to say, take that. Yeah, if you want to come and talk to me about it now, we're going to have to do it with raised voices because that's how I do. Because I really don't want to talk about it. And so this is my defensiveness, right? Not good, not a good choice. But all of them are choices that we make when it comes to make our attitude, right? Choices lead into our attitude. And then the last one is are things we act on, okay? Things we act on. Have you made decisions that you have regretted this week? Or do you take a stand in the way you're living and choose what is right? When I walked out of the house this morning, I didn't even think of this, um, but putting, making a choice to put Christian music on was a choice for me to walk out of that attitude that I was walking into, guarding my heart and making sure that that doesn't take place. Remember John, 1 John 2, 6. You guys remember that one? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, right? Oh, yeah, you keep bringing that one up. It's about once a month, Pastor. You bring that up. I should memorize that. Hey, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. I like that. I'm glad you guys thought of that. So those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's a, it's syncopation. Just stick it in there. Boom, you got it, right? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. If I say I'm living in God, if somebody that doesn't believe in, in God starts reading their Bible, are they going to think, well, that's what that pastor White Rose, that's how he acts. That, that's my litmus test, guys. I appreciate y'all, but you're not my litmus test. My litmus test is a non-believer. Are they going to see Jesus in me? Right? I hope so. Because I'm not, I'm not doing my job. And I'm not giving God the glory. That's what I like. I like to be a glory hog. I like to take that and just kink that conduit right up there. And so like, ooh, that feels good. Guess who else did that, Satan? Right? That's what a lot of people think. How he fell from heaven is because he was siphoning off the praise and worship from God. And then he was stealing it from him. Right? This cannot be. Tim Keller said out of this paradigm, says we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare to hope. Wow. God loves us so much that he can overpower that our flaws and our self-loathing and our pride. Wow, and convict us. So honor God with all your life. We are found by God in Jesus Christ, and we are under his authority to live in obedience to God's will through his Holy Spirit. Let's finish it off with the last three verses. It says, God's purpose was what was that we Jews who were first in the, to trust in Jesus, trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you 
as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we could praise God, we could praise and glorify him. In Christ Jesus. How do I know that I am in Christ Jesus? 1 John, the whole book of 1 John, which isn't very long, it's four chapters, I think, maybe five. Um, it's, it gives you a good litmus test of how you know that you're in Christ Jesus. One of the big litmus tests in there is that we have the Spirit of God convicting us. If you struggle in your sins, the Spirit is working inside you, okay? He's already working. Maybe it's beforehand or after, after, but he is working inside of you. And that is an indicator that he is there already. That should wake us up a little bit because God is a God that we need to be fearing. He has ultimate authority. And if he says that we're done, we're done. But he loves us and he keeps us around. Praise God. So identity check. Where does your hope come from? Does it come from things of this world or does it come from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and earth? Is God sovereign in your life? Is God sovereign in your life? If so, you don't have to listen to this next part. Good job. You made it on. It's like one of those tests, right? Right? No. Are you losing that battle for your heart to this world? And I think the more and more I look and the deeper and deeper I look, I can find fissures that are breaking in and cracks that are coming about, and um, I can fill those in. I need to get more self-examined. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not copy the pattern and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn and know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Friends, do you fight your fears, your worries, and anxieties with the power of self? Because if you do, it's going to look like this. Oh, I'll get better next time. Ah, oh, shoot, I, I messed up. Oh, I can change. I can change whenever I want. Right? All those are excuses. And they're all like butts. We all got them, and they all stink. Right? <laughs> I'll say that one for Scott Johnson. He likes it when I get a little more crass on there. And he's like, no, I did not say that. I know he didn't say that. But we need accountability, don't we? We need to get together in a group of believers. We need to have that. Or is it the power of the Lord? We move from just hearing the word to doing it. Here's four things that we can do. Four things that we can do. And guess what? It's going to be almost the same four that we always say every Sunday. All right? And I incorporate it almost all the time because it's true. And until we start doing it, we're not going to change. We're going to stay on these felt needs and we're going to be like happy and we're just, we'll go to church to feel a little convicted or, or good about ourselves. But we're not changing. And who are we fooling if we, we do Christianity like that? We ain't fooling God. The only person we fool is ourselves. And that's, 
That's too easy to do, folks. It's too easy to fool myself and to think what I'm doing is right. I'm, I'm tired of doing that. And so I, first I go to God's word. I go to God's word and I move from just hearing the word to doing it. I read it to know it and to do it. I put my faith into action. We need to be confronted by what God's word has to say to us. That means I got to get in there by myself and find out where I am convicted. And if you can't get into God's word like that, it means you don't want to be convicted. Because as I shared last week, the struggle of me trying, oh yeah, I do that's like four or five times a week, right? Um, that was a lie because I didn't want to get into the word to know what it had to say to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Number two is to pray with God. Start off as, I'm, Lord, I'm a broken sinner in need of your grace. Forgive me and create in me a clean heart. And then learn how to talk with him like he is your best friend. And learn how to do it by yourself and with others. Right? It is... I get super frustrated. And I, so, okay, this is, I'm an extrovert, okay? So I'm just going to start the statement with this. Um, so introverts, you have to give me a little bit of grace on this. I get super frustrated when people tell me I don't like to pray in public. I almost get offended by that statement because as an extrovert... Prayer is like a declaration for me that I am surrendered to somebody bigger than me. And when you say you don't want to be to pray in public, it's just saying I don't want to associate with God. Now, some of that is a, a, a lie, right? But some of that is true. Because if God is convicting you to pray, then you need to do what he's convicting you to do. Does it have to sound pretty? No. No, you listen to other people and how they pray. And then you start to mimic them. You see where it's biblical. You start doing a study on prayer and his word, and then you get better than your, than your pastor at praying. Right? I'm not the best prayer. I, I pray okay, but I know there's things I, out there that I could do better. Right? I'll give you a, a little structure of prayer right now. This wasn't in my... Things, but you want to pray to God first, right? You pray to the Lord, dear Lord. You don't pray to Jesus. You pray to God because he's the one that gives, right? But we pray in Jesus' name because he's going to give through Jesus, okay? Because that's how Jesus taught us how to pray. Whoa, I know, it's crazy. So we pray to God the Father. We ask what I do, what I want to do first is I want to give him uh, the praise, then I want to give him the thanksgiving, and then I want to give, I want to ask of my needs, and then I want to, um, uh, actually I want to ask of needs of others, and then I want to ask for my needs at the end, okay? Number three, worship with others. There's something different about worshiping God with others. In this room with fellow believers, 
praying, singing songs. We come here when we don't feel like singing because we know that others will lift us up in that process, knowing we're broken and that he is good, regularly taking the Lord's Supper together. We're going to be doing this next week. I invite you back to worship with one another, to come with that conviction and to know Jesus Christ and then to worship in the act of surrendering once again with the Lord's Supper. When we do these four things, we'll be changed into the likeness of Christ a little bit more. Are there more than those four? Absolutely. Those are just four I picked out this morning. We will renew our hearts. We will change our thought patterns to point to Jesus Christ. We'll change our attitude to reflect Jesus and change our actions to, be, to affect others in Jesus. Because we are founded by God in Christ Jesus and we are under his authority to live in obedience to God's will according to his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you forgive us when we choose our own way of living. Lord, I pray that you would convict us when we are processing things out of our felt needs instead of out of our convictions of the Holy Spirit and your word. Lord, I pray that we would stand on the principles and the statutes that we find in your word and that we would walk as Jesus walked so that we might affect our community around us to be more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that we have become disciple makers who want to make more disciples in you. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving each one of us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our ways to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.